Hey, it's July 12th, 2016. This is the Soybean Pest Podcast. An early version, early in the day version of the SPP. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Matt. It's 721, now 722 in the AM. Coming up. This is this early for Tuesday you, Matt. Well, it's not to say that I don't get up early. It's just that I'm not usually in the office before the coffee is made. And I'm... <laughs> Struggling. Yeah, it's a little hard. <laughs> Oh man, it is. Um, it is the day after the storm. Yeah, we, we had, had some wind, some stuff flying around. All our chairs fell over in the backyard. You're gonna rebuild, though, right? <laughs> Somehow we'll manage. Okay. Yeah. Get the FEMA trailer <laughs> pulled up alongside the house. <laughs> Move I'll, into I'll pick up the three branches yeah. that are in our yard. Yeah. Mike can go out with his work gloves and. Put the patio chairs. Yeah. <laughs> Struggle continues. So um, we have some stuff to talk about, but let's talk about the weather first. So, uh, yeah, the um, we got some rain on Sunday. Yep. And then uh, yesterday, Monday night, we went from 120,000 degrees Fahrenheit <laughs> <laughs> down to 80 degrees at about midnight. Big drop. And then the, the storms came through. And uh, this is remarkable. I know it's a pest podcast and we're talking meteorology, but um, I think we've talked about this before. The drought monitor Mm -hmm. at University of Nebraska-Lincoln, this is a resource that I like to use to know just how dry it is. I mean, you know how dry it is for, say, your yard or your farm, but that's sort of localized. What does it mean for a region? And um, the drought monitor does this for us because uh, they map out around the United States where droughts are occurring in the U.S. and they have a, an intensity measure of um, a zero, which is abnormally dry, a D1, moderate drought, D2, severe drought, D3, extreme drought, and D4, exceptional drought. So four being the highest. Guess where in the United States there is an exceptional drought right now? Where do you think? Some of it's in Iowa. Oh, not exceptional. Not exceptional. Abnormally or, or exceptionally dry So as of last week? Um, so they update their map weekly, mm-hmm. and they show on it when it was released. So um, the map for July 5th, released July 7th, mm-hmm. that'd be last week, has um, two layers of drought, the abnormally dry, D0, and oh, uh, severe. D1, moderate drought. Um in, uh, you kind of I think it was it. 70%, they said. 70% of Iowa? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that, that kind of looks about right. But the, the, the most severe drought is in the southeast corner, um, down by Keokuk, Mount yeah. Pleasant, um, Fairfield, that area, with the D0 sort of uh, slash across from the northeast, or I'm sorry, the northwest maybe, down through the center of the state, mm-hmm. through Ames, and then down to the uh, southeast. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that map changes after the rains over the weekend, and then uh, last night too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but talking to some of the field agronomists yesterday, some of them received up to four inches in that southeastern part of the state. What, uh, when yeah. was that last the, over the weekend? Okay, so that yeah. Sunday rain. And so yeah, when yeah. this new uh, map inches. comes out, that could wow. really uh, you know wow. be. Uh, uh, real change from yeah. last week to this week some real intense rains yeah so um we started off talking about this because i was out uh, in a field on sunday 
And I could see the stipples, the damage uh, marks from spider mites on some soybeans. Couldn't really see the uh, the spider mites, but um, there was some evidence there, especially on the older leaves down in the canopy. Um, and it, it, it was remarkable to me because we had just had the rain that had passed through that Sunday morning. And it's like, yeah, that rain probably washed off those spider mites. Um, the conditions were now such that they're probably not going to be able to hang around. But um, and, and looking at the, what the rain had done, you know, the, the soil was uh, moist and uh, there was no longer that kind of cupping or curling in the leaves. Um, but damage had occurred. And mm-hmm. I, so um, just something to keep in mind. I, I think, you know, it's, it's tough to manage things like spider mites because they are kind of hard to scout. But you can use some of the things like the drought monitor to give you some idea of where conditions are probably most um, uh, congruent. I don't know what's the right word for that. The right conditions for spider mites. And then sort of think about scouting and visiting those fields that are in the the drier parts of the state. Yeah, I uh, wrote about spider mites last week in an ICM article. And uh, that's because people had been seeing the same thing as what you have just talked about, the discoloration, mm-hmm. um, some of the stippling um, that you'd see around the field perimeters, not only in soybean but in corn. And, um, and so they were noticing that. There's some fields that actually got sprayed in, yeah. in southeastern yeah. Iowa because of they were doing perimeter sprays uh-huh. to try and uh, knock down the mites before they would balloon into the field interior, as, which is what we saw in 2012. So they're trying to kind of uh, hold them off. It, it's a pest that you have to be more proactive with and mm-hmm. reactive with. And mm-hmm. one thing that's a little bit different about this year is that we have the ability to use agrimec, which is a miticide. And that a miticide, is, yeah, finally. Yeah, it's not just the organophosphates. Or, right, yeah, because normally yeah. you'd say, okay, your preference would be to spray an organophosphate or the pyrethroid bifenthrin um, as options for spider mites. But um, all those products, including Agrimac, don't kill the eggs. And so, but we, we really haven't had a true miticide yeah. before. So that has been approved, has a federal label, and I can uh, provide a link to that so you can kind of see the MSDS and the label for that. But that would be a true miticide. And, and although I don't have uh, direct experience, I, I got a sense from the extension entomology group that I'm in that uh, Agrimac works very well on corn and soybeans for uh-huh. spider and mites. It's, and it's labeled for both crops? Yep. Yeah. Um, what, do you know what the active ingredient is? It's abamectin. So it's abamectin. a it's a, a bacterial fermentation derivative. Okay. Yeah. So it's a biological. So um, not to quiz you too hard on this, but um, is that something that uh, you'd expect to see have problems or affect other things besides mites? That's like, a good question. From what I know, it's a miticide, so I wouldn't I wouldn't expect it to have activity on like aphids or, or other, other insects, insects yeah. you well, might find, but I don't know. To be fair, mites aren't insects, right? Right, They're, so I wouldn't expect yeah, it to. Right. Um, but there are some insecticides that work on spider mites, right. so I, right. I just don't know, honestly, uh, if it has any efficacy against insects. Yeah, and I'm also wondering if it would have any effect on, um, you know, beneficial insects. Right. If you have to be worried about right. um, the... If you're spraying in soybeans, you know, it's flowering right now, so there could be pollinators out there, and especially if you had a hive nearby. But on the label, it should indicate, you know, the what steps the applicator needs to take to protect Mm -hmm. the 
other things like yeah. bees, honeybees. Yep. And yeah, as always, the label is the law. True that. Yeah. So anything else? So uh, I, before we move on, let's just kind of summarize. Um, yeah, we've had uh, drought in parts of the state, even though uh, we just got some rain that came through and, and we're scheduled for some more rain uh, later this week. And I just to give it another plug, the drought monitor, if you Google. Yeah, drought I, can, I can put monitor, a link on, the, on our podcast. Yeah, I think we've talked about it before. Yes. Uh, I find it really useful. And what's really nice is if you start um, visiting their website and, and playing around with it, they have projections into the future for what they anticipate, mm-hmm. where they anticipate droughts to occur, where they see them lessening or worsening. Um, and it's also kind of interesting because it's a national map and they show you just how bad things are in California. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's the one place that, you know, I ask you the quiz question, oh, where is extremely. the exceptional drought yeah. in the U S and that's showing up. Uh, it's a real big dark red splotch down in Southern California. In fact, mm-hmm. the whole West coast from Washington, Oregon and California down, uh, in a drought. So mm-hmm. wish them luck. So you, you, you mentioned other pests, and so I have, I don't want to say a laundry list, but I have a few things that I've been hearing about from our summer crew and then also from some of the field agronomists around the state. And okay. so I think since we last met, um, we have first-generation bean leaf beetles that are out and, and maybe a yeah. little bit higher numbers than we typically see. Nothing that's at an economic level, but just more defoliation than we have seen in the past. And I think that's partly due to the nice winter that we had. We just had more surviving the winter. Nice in that it was. <laughs> nice for the Beatles. Nice for the Beatles, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, nice for, for those that care about uh, non, uh, non-traded corn, uh, second generation corn borers should be, the eggs and the, the larvae should be out there now. And this is really the m- most important generation because of the economic injury potential that if they get inside the ear, you know, as the common name suggests, corn borer, they could be very destructive. So if you don't have traits, now is a good time to get out there and look for eggs and larvae. Non-traded corn. Yeah. I know. I keep saying that. Um, that's not maybe a term that other people would use. That's not one of those terms that, you know, just kind of rolls off the tongue real poetically. It does for me, but... Non-traded not. corn. I, ki- I kid you not. I saw... What did I see? I saw um, my wife bought some provolone cheese. Yeah. And it, it was on the label on the outside. It said not smoked. <laughs> it's become the default smoked provolone cheese. Yeah. So you so, have to specifically say yeah. not smoked. Not smoked. <laughs> Sorry. That's I crazy. That was <laughs> not It just means it's it's not, it doesn't produce, this is corn that doesn't produce the BT toxin. Above ground attack. and then maybe below ground as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Japanese beetles. Oh, hey, they're out, yeah. they're oh, out yeah. and maybe a little bit higher numbers as well than yeah. the last couple of years. And which, which uh, means they've gone from like zero. Yeah, it's up. not hard to get yeah. higher than last year, which is nearly zero. I've seen them in my yard, which is the first time I've seen mm-hmm. them in my mm-hmm. yard. Um, but I've also noticed some defoliation around the, around Ames, which I, I, I assume a little bit has to be because of Japanese beetle. Um, but my crew has also found them out in corn and soybean. Oh, so it. It's sort of interesting because, of course, if you have Japanese beetles out before silking, which is kind of, it's just happening or will about to happen very soon, uh, they're considered silk clippers and they can interfere with pollination. So it's worth to get out in fields yeah. just to see if you have any of that clipping going on. Probably unlikely, though, but 
could probably, happen. Probably not enough to uh, warrant uh, action. Yeah. But for those that are maybe into research or those that have like several dates of planting or they might have like oh, sweet corn or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah. where um, maybe the situation is a little bit more specialized, that's yeah. where people tend to worry about them a little bit more than say like just commercial field corn. You know, one thing I'm noticing is um, the few in my neighborhood that put out the Japanese beetle oh. traps, uh, I'm starting to see those in the bags in a way that I haven't the last couple of years. Yeah. So, um, Anyway, yeah, we're trapping them at field, the demo lab between Ames and Boone, and we didn't catch any the last two summers, but we're catching them this summer. So, yeah, just a little bit probably, more interesting. Probably going to be more next year if we don't have a, a terrible winter. Yeah, yeah. Um, thanks to climate change, we same won't. time I talked about Japanese beetles clipping silks, corn rootworm adults happening right now, and of course, um, they were going to be feeding on silks as well. That's their preference is to feed on on green silks. So when I start seeing adults above ground, that's often a cue for me to recommend people assess root injury. So digging up corn plants, assessing root injury, and looking for any of that um, pitting, browning, discoloration, or pruning, um, it can help make management decisions for next so, year. So this is the best time to do it because the adults are out, which means all the feeding that more or less you're going to see has been done. Yeah, while well, well, it's fresh. Plus or minus. And it's fresh such that there isn't any regrowth occurring so you can if you were to dig a few yeah. roots you could actually see the damage and know if your traits holding up or if yeah. you used a seed uh, uh, seed treatment or uh, soil insecticide whether that provided yep. much protection yeah and, and you know even if you're not using a trait or even mm-hmm. if you're like in a corn soybean rotation i would still recommend assessing first year corn and looking at the roots because we've had some um, people talking more about extended diapause from northern corn rootworm extending more into the southern part of the state than we've seen before. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a good idea just to kind of spot check, mm-hmm. even if you're in a strong corn soybean rotation, just to see you know, if you ha- are having more activity than maybe mm-hmm. you thought. Mm-hmm. And so that's also something we talked about, spider mites, and that's kind of been uh, sprinkled throughout the state. And then lastly, soybean aphid. Do you want to oh. talk about things that you're seeing and yeah. I can too? So uh, the students have been out uh, on our um, projects doing our uh, on-farm um, checks of the, the fields that we're working on. So these are commercial fields. Had some smaller plot stuff. And um, one thing we've noticed or that I've noticed and, they're, and they're, they're reporting back is that there are aphids in the field, but very low, yeah. very low populations, maybe 10% of the plants have aphids. Um, what's been interesting is um, on the plants in which we artificially infested, so this has been about two weeks now, um, the populations maintain uh, in, the, in the cages. So we artificially infest, we put a cage around it to ensure that we have some aphids there for whatever experiments we're doing. And uh, even though we've had really warm temperatures getting into the 90s, um, Conditions that I think wouldn't be good for right. soybean aphid. Right, right. Uh, those populations uh, are persisting and growing. So, um, you know, I, I, I think I've said this before, but you don't want the meteorologist to be your pest manager. You know, it, it's true, insects are cold-blooded, they respond to temperature, blah, blah, blah. But they're more hardy, more durable than we sometimes give them credit for. And yeah, it's been hot and aphids typically don't do well above 90 degrees, but it gets cool in the evening. Yeah, uh, they recover. The, mi- the microclimate and the canopy is not the air temperature that we experience. So um, all I'm saying is even though 
this year, probably going to be a light year. Probably not going to see nearly the activity we've seen in um, maybe other years. Um, populations are out there. And what the students have been saying is when they go out to look, right now they can find little patches i mean and real little like maybe a plant or two yeah but they're starting to spread a bit and so my guess is if we're going to have problems with aphids it probably won't be until august um so if if someone sprayed um, an insecticide if they tank mixed with their glyphosate which was probably applied what two three weeks ago now um probably not going to give them protection first week of august and on so um, maybe want to think about scouting a few spots, um, especially in areas where you've historically had a problem. And I'm thinking mostly the northern tier of counties in Iowa. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think it's been hard for my crew and myself to find aphids at the northern research farms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like you said, the, the percent of plants infested is very low, and the average aphids per plant, the abundance is also very low. But you're right. Eventually, they're going to start to spread, especially when the canopy closes, and then it does make it easier for aphids to kind of spread within a field. Have you heard anything from Minnesota? Uh, well, if you talk to Bruce Potter, he's an IPM specialist in southwestern Minnesota near Lamberton, and he's seen aphids. Uh, he always sees aphids in early June. That's something yeah. that's pretty typical for him. And he said that populations are kind of headed towards, you know, they'll need to be treated probably uh, within a week or two. Oh, um, but yeah. For other parts of, of Minnesota, the other southern counties, I'm not sure. It seems to be kind of southwestern corner, which that's where they have problems every okay. year with aphids. And they're also starting to see problems with bifenthrin and lambda cyhalothrin as well. So, Meaning those products aren't working. Yeah, they're just not getting the efficacy that they once were, where you'd expect you know 90-plus percent to be not alive anymore. That's not dental surgery going on that's <laughs> the sound of construction uh, only for the next four years man uh, cool. <laughs> so we've covered a lot of territory should we wrap up yeah um anything we need to plug anything else up? that you want to talk about um i'm going to south dakota on thursday for mm-hmm. a program on friday going to talk about uh, uh pollinators and field crops at uh, an event hosted by um former student here, Adam Varenhorst, and his colleagues at South Dakota. Um, going to go to the, uh, what is it? It's the capital, the U.S. capital with the lowest population. Lower than North Dakota? Yeah, Pierre. Oh, South the capital Dakota. with the lowest yeah, population. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, aren't you lucky. I know. Seven hours. Can't wait. Actually, I'm kind of excited. I've never been that far west in a car. It'll be interesting. <laughs> How about you? You got anything going on? Uh, I have uh, I have a field day this afternoon at the Hort Farm, uh, answering questions about hops. Mm-hmm. I have a, a field day tonight near Orth- Otho, Iowa, where it's a women in ag group. Oh, fun. So oh, it's just uh, yeah. women that are interested in agriculture for a, a number of different reasons, but um, it's kind of a, a women's cohort, and it's a two. I've done one already. I'll do one tonight, and I'm doing one next week. So there's three groups in Iowa women interested in oh, ag. Interesting. And then we have our crop management clinic at field this week as well. I have a couple of classes that I'm teaching. Okay. So yeah, the field the, the yeah, the field Lock days or demonstrations are really ramping up in the yeah. next couple of weeks for me. So All right, well th- good one. Okay. See you next week. Yep, see ya. Bye.